0: You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Abraham. Really interesting figure. He is the forefather of three of the world's major religions, as we've already alluded to, Judaism, Islam. And Christianity. 4,000 years ago this man walked the earth and yet he has significance so much so today that probably in synagogues and in temples and in churches all over the world we are talking about this person today. But who was he? We know that he was from Ur of the Chalde- uh, Chaldeans. We know that he had a wife named Sarai. We know that he had a nephew named Lot. We've learned this over the least last few weeks. And what we do know is that God gave him a promise. He promised him blessing instead of curse. Five times over, he blesses him. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna make your name great. Abraham, I'm gonna give you a son. Abraham, I'm gonna give you a land. And he goes into all these different ways in which he's going to bless Abraham. And and because of Abraham's faith and his willingness to step into what it is that God had called him to. To this day, we still talk about him. Now, as we've learned over these last few weeks, he has made many faith steps, but he has also had many missteps, has he not? right? So we've had many faith steps and many missteps, but God in his grace has course corrected a couple of times and brought him back onto the same page. Now, we're skipping over chapter 14, which is unfortunate. We just don't have enough weeks, but Abraham has just gone to war with a number of different kings. He's getting his nephew Lot out of some trouble once again. And where we find ourselves here today is this, is Abraham finds himself in his tent, in his tent and he's having a conversation with God and here's what I love about this conversation is that I believe this conversation is incredibly relatable for you and for me because it's a conversation that many of us have had with God maybe as we've been reading his word maybe as he's just whispered in our soul where he speaks something over us a promise and we begin to doubt him we begin to doubt him and express our doubts to him And we're going to see that Abraham is, in this story, experiencing doubt. And I think the beauty of what we're going to see is this, is that God does not bring wrath for his doubt, but rather reassurance. And this is what I want to encourage us with today as we read this story. And so if you're willing, if you're able, let's stand in honor of God's word. It's something we do here at CA. um, Because we believe these are some of the most important words you're going to hear today. We find ourselves in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my own servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up at the sky. Count the stars if you can. That is how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Then the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut uh, each animal in the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. And as the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Jump to verse 17. After the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I've given you this land and your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, to the land occupied by the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Huttites, the Pezerites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Cainites, the Giger." And the Juba sites. <laughs> This is the word of the Lord, all of those names included. God, we thank you for your word today. We pray by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I always love it when there's long lists of names in the uh, Bible like that because it's it's a test right it's a real test for me did he read this passage out loud before sunday right <laughs> anyway what is going on especially that last half right little bit weird if you ask me There's a lot of animals, a lot of death, and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of a weird uh, mix of like, I don't know, Christmas, there's turtle doves, Halloween, uh, 420, and (laughs) it's very weird, right? This very, very weird passage that's going on here. And so the question is, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, we're seeing a conversation between Abram, who would become Abraham, and Elohim, the living God. And it's encouraging because we see that Abraham has doubts. He has doubts about God's promises. And I think we all have doubts, don't we? We have doubts about ourselves, doubts about our abilities, our capacities, our decisions. But we also have doubts about our faith. And we have doubt sometimes in God. God. And especially in his promises I have doubts like these all the time and if you do it's okay Abraham is considered one of the great fathers of the faith he's commended for his faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and yet here he is doubting the living God's promises and so if you sometimes doubt his promises you are in good company this conversation, though, between Abraham and God, it, it normalizes this reality. And what we see is that rather than God having wrath, he reassures him. He reassures him. Uh, look, look, look at this pattern we see. We can see this pattern of promise, doubt, reassurance, and response. Let's go to the, the first text. Um, So here's the promise. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'll protect you. You'll be your reward. But then it goes into this doubt. But Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord. Right? He says, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings? I don't have a son. And then here's what he does. He starts, like, trying to solve the problem, you know, for God. He's like, but I have an heir. You know, don't worry. I've got a servant. He's trying to figure things out for God. God doesn't slap him or, you know, smack him or anything like that. But rather reassures him says, no, your servant's not going to be there. Abraham, go outside, look at the stars. That's how many descendants you will have. And then we see a response, right? Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous. And we see this pattern happen in scene number two, right? So scene number two, uh, you know, God, he, God says to him, hey, I'm going to give you a land and it's going to be your possession. Abraham replies, but oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I'm actually going to possess it? then we see God respond, both here and also in the text later on in 14, where he, he begins to, to reassure him, okay, don't worry, I'm going to make this covenant with you. And he reassures him, yes, you know what, your descendants are going to go and they're going to be slaves in Egypt, uh, but don't worry. This land will belong to your descendants. And then we see a response. So Abraham presented all of these things to him and he killed them. We see this pattern over and over and over again. In this text, you can see it. Promise, doubt, reassurance, response. Promise, doubt, reassurance, response. And what we see is that we have a God who reassures us in our doubts. How does he reassure Abraham? Well, there's two ways. First, he reminds Abraham of what he has done. And secondly, he reminds Abraham of what he will do. Okay? First, he responds to Abraham of what, what he has done. Then he responds to Abraham what he will do. Let's look at this first reminder. He reminds Abraham of what he has done. I want you to imagine this scene right now, okay? Abraham is in his tent. Okay, He's lying down. He's, I've never done this before. Uh, he's having a conversation with God, right? He's, he, he's, he's, maybe he's laying down. He ha- he's, hears God speak this promise over him. Abraham, I will give you a son. And, you know, there's no Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> he doesn't have a device or anything like that. And so he just has a conversation with God. He's having this conversation with God. God, but, you know, I have no son, so my heir is gonna be Eliza. Poor Elizer. he could have inherited all of it, but God, no, God has a different <laughs> promise, right? He says, don't worry, I'm gonna give you a son. Okay, don't worry, Abraham. Get out of your tent. Come on outside. Uh, I think this is important. That's why I'm doing this. I think it's an important visual. Abraham is laying in here and his view is blocked by this tent. And, and God calls Abraham to get out of his tent so he gets up. <laughs> right? Hey, look, look up at the stars. So Abraham looks up at the stars. He's looking around. He says, if you can even count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Now, let's put that tent back up. I like that picture. Yeah, yeah, it's good. If you can, if you can just count them. You ever been like that? You're just camping out in the wilderness? And you get out of your tent and you look up at the stars, they're magnificent. No light pollution, you're out way out there somewhere. It's absolutely incredible. But it's hard for people in Port Moody to kind of grasp it sometimes because it's like if God told us to look at the stars when we like walk out on our patio, it's like, can you even count them? It's like, yeah, I can. (laughs) One, two, three, four, five, that's about it, right? (laughs) One of them wasn't even a star, it was Venus, okay, right? (laughs) But Abraham, imagine this day and this time, no big city lights. He comes out of his tent. He looks up at the stars and he's just amazed. See, God is reassuring Abraham in his doubts. Do you have doubts? Look at the stars. Because the stars remind us of a couple things. In Genesis chapter 1, It says this, God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the sun, a smaller one to govern the night, the moon. And he also made the stars. The Psalms tell us in Psalm 33, verse six, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all of the stars were born. See, I believe that this is more than just a math exercise for Abraham. This is an inspirational speaking kind of moment for God. As he tells him to look up at the stars, all 200 of them. We can count them now. Probably not exactly to the number, but there's a lot of them. And God knew that. And as Abraham looked up at the stars, it reminded him of Something. It reminded him of how powerful God is. It reminds him of what God has done. He is the God who made the stars. He is the star maker. And if he can make the stars in all of their multitudes, surely our multiplication problems in our day-to-day life are nothing to him. Abraham, ah, you know, I'm really old. Sarah's really old. We don't have a son God look at the stars Abraham look at the stars because when we look at the stars it begins to shrink us down in a really good way doesn't it in a really humbling way a reminding way that reminds us that we are really small and God is really big some of you right now are walking through challenges you're walking through difficulties you're walking through different situations and because of that you have your doubts I want to encourage you, bring your doubts to God. Bring them before him. It is okay. Some of you are taught to never, you know, mistalk to God. But all over the scriptures, what we see is people, as long as they directed their doubt, as long as they directed their frustration to God, they were in right relationship with him. God is calling you and me today to bring our doubts before him, but also to get out of our tent to gain a new perspective of what he has done, of who he is, of his incredible power. The God who made the universe, galaxies, black holes, the Milky Way, the planets. This is the God who is with you. This is the God who sees you. This is the God who knows you. And your doubts are not offensive to him and they're not too small for him. He will not rebuke you. He will reassure you. This is what this text reminds us this morning. And Abraham, because of this, responds to this stargazing activity. How? With faith and belief. With faith and belief. Look at this, verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Hebrews 11, verse one tells us this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. An assurance about what we do not see. I love what Cory ten Boom says, faith is like a radar that helps us see through the fog, the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. He responds with faith. Abraham cannot see a son, but he chooses to trust God for one. Abraham doesn't understand how it's all gonna come to be, but he chooses to follow God and place his faith in him. This word, when it says, he believed the Lord, if we put up verse six, he believed the Lord, this, this word believed is really interesting because to put your belief in a person, it's, it's a powerful thing. Belief is confidence that one puts in something to be true. And to go a little bit Bible nerdy on you for a second here, but there'll be a payoff. It's really interesting. This word, Abraham believed the Lord, this word believed, it's the first time in all of the scriptures that this word shows up. The very first time in the biblical story that someone believed the Lord. And the exact word that Abraham chooses here is also important. There's two Hebrew words. The first is ni'amen, ni'amen, which means to be true or trustworthy. And the second is very similar but distinctly different, he'amen, which means to consider someone trustworthy. In this moment, Abraham, even though he doubts the promise, he trusts the promise maker. And as he looks up at the stars, That the Creator God has made, He has He, amen, in Him. He considers Him, God, Elohim, trustworthy. He trusts in God. Himself. He doesn't just believe what God has said is true, but even though he doesn't see it, he trusts in the person of God, the character of God. And and, and he says, I've placed my faith not in your promise, because I can't see your promise and I'm doubting that, but I'm placing my faith in you, the promise maker. I'm placing my faith in a person. He believed that God himself was trustworthy. Not just that what God had said was trustworthy, but the character of God was trustworthy. And because of this, something profound happens. He is made right with God. God counts him as righteous. Now, we have to put on our our minds of an early Hebrew person. When they use this word righteous, go back to the Sermon on the Mount. What did righteous mean? It meant to be rightly related rightly related so it says because of his belief in God God counted him as rightly related he wasn't just righteous morally he was not just justified morally but he was rightly related with God because of his faith in God himself God places faith in him and brings him into right relationship brings him into the family brings him into his household of faith And this is what can happen for you. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, that through simple belief in him, placing your faith in God himself, you can become a person who is rightly related with God. Rightly related with God. Look at this. Paul commentates on this old passage in Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives our sins. How did Abraham choose faith over works? He did this rather than trusting in his plans and what his eyes could see. He places his faith in God and his hope in him and him alone. He believed in God. I don't like the way actually that the NLT translates this because it says he, he believed God. It sounds like he believed what God said. No, he believed in God. He placed his faith in God. And this is the good old good news of the Gospel. For you and for me. This is the difference between religion and the Gospel. Religion tells you that by your works you can earn it, you can deserve it, you can strive it, and you can make it. Up the ladder to God. That somehow through your good works, you will get there. But the gospel tells you, no, this is not true. But guess what? If you believe in me, if you place your faith in me, you place all of your hope in me, even if you can't see it, Even if you can't fully comprehend it, God will count you as righteous, as rightly related, as made right with him. And this is our incredible insurance, the hope that we have in Jesus. Why? When we close our eyes for that one last sleep and we open them once again before the throne, that we can have hope and know that we will stand before the God of the universe and that he will declare us right. Because it is by faith you are saved, not by works, so that no one may boast. This is what Ephesians tells us. This is what Romans tells us. And Paul says this again in Romans chapter 4, verse 22 And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We can have assurance of our salvation because of Abraham. And so friends, here's the question for you today. Where are you at with God? And what have you placed your faith in Have you placed your faith in the ends or the gifts? The ends being salvation or heaven. The ends being the gifts of God. Or have you placed your faith and belief in God? Because those who place their belief and their faith and their trust fully on God can have full assurance because of this text and because we are children of Abraham that we too will be counted righteous. Do you believe this this morning? Everything rides on this. And I'm fearful for my friends who have been misled to place their faith in their own righteous works because they've missed just the freedom of the gospel Complete freedom. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But it's yours if you believe and you place your faith in me, in me alone. But God does not just reassure Abraham of what he has done. Look, I've made the stars. But he reassures him about what he will do. And this is where we get into this really weird scene where he's like, get me a three-year-old goat. Get me some turtle doves, right? You know, it's like, and this whole thing. And, and throwing a pigeon, right? <laughs> for good measure. This a super weird scene. This is one of those moments when we remind, we're reminded of the fact that the Bible is written for us, but it's not written to us, okay? Um, because it was written to a people who when they would have read or heard this entire scene going down, they would have known exactly what was happening. What they were witnessing, what was happening here, was a covenant ceremony. A covenant ceremony. And um, what would happen is traditionally there'd be two parties. They'd bring two animals. And the meaning of this covenant ceremony is important. The two animals halves would represent the consequence of breaking the covenant. Those who walk between these pieces and through this blood are covenantally obligated to fulfill their promises. And if they don't, their fate will be the same as these animals cut in half. In essence, if they fail to uphold their commitments, their blood will be shed. They will die. This is what a true covenant looks like. It's not like the civil contracts that we have today, which can easily be broken. The other day, I was booking an Airbnb. Jessica and I are going to go to Seattle. And uh, I was just amazed how easily I could get out of this contract I'd made with this Airbnb person because I found a better place. And I just canceled. I got all my money back. And I paid for another one. And this is our experience in society today, where we can make these commitments and then we just break them. But a covenant is a is an unbreakable vow. It's an unbreakable vow before the other that I, if I fail to uphold this, I will die. It's a bold commitment. Bold commitment. And God makes a covenant. With Abraham? No, with himself. On behalf of Abraham. And on behalf of his descendants. It's really interesting. You'll see in this text, the gospel begins to pop off the page here. Abraham and God don't walk through the two halves. God himself walks through twice. You'll notice that Abraham is asleep. Look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. He's, he's beginning to have this vision. Why is he sleeping? Well, this is likely a dream or a vision he is having that God's giving him to show him what he will do. But secondly, it's drawing our attention to the last time that somebody was put to sleep. When was the last time someone was put to sleep by God? It was Adam. As out of Adam, God God took out of him a rib and created woman. Why is this important? Because in both occasions, what it is communicating is that the person who is going through this is completely helpless and there's nothing they can do to actually bring about the ends. Only God can do it. I also think Abraham's probably asleep because God does not want him to walk through the middle of those halves because he himself wants to do it. You see, um, there's two kind of symbols he sees. First is a smoking fire pot and the second is a flaming torch. Why? These two images. Smoke and fire are visible images of the invisible God. They've used to reveal his presence in Scripture. Later on, Israel will see in the desert as they're being led by God a pillar of smoke by day. And a pillar of fire by night God later reveals himself in a burning bush smoke and fire at Pentecost wind and fire come upon the people God uses these symbols to reveal his presence and so God makes a covenant with himself on behalf of Abraham and his descendants he is declaring to Abraham if your doubts win the day if your faith falters which it will if you fail to uphold your end of the bargain I will die for you And if I fail to uphold my promise to you, I will die and my blood will be shed. And God would be faithful to this covenant. We see he is faithful to his side. He does give Abraham a son and sons as numerous as the stars. And we will see that God does give Abraham's descendants a land as he promised after 400 years enslaved to Egypt. But he also remained faithful to his covenant on our behalf as well. When our doubts lead to failure, the Lord will be faithful to fulfill this covenant. It reminds me of the words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And we know that Abraham's faith would falter at times. And we know that his descendants' doubt would take hold again and again. And because of this, through the seed of Abraham, God would enter into the world the person of Jesus. And because of our error and wrong, he would die on a Roman cross. His blood would be spilt for you and for me, just like he said it would. If we are unfaithful, He remains faithful to His promises. If we are unfaithful, He never lets us down. Why? Because He cannot deny who He is. What does God do with our doubts, our failures, our unfaithfulness? He responds with faithfulness, for He cannot deny Himself what does god do with our doubtful moments he reminds us of who he is and what he has done and what he will do and some of you have doubts today and it's okay look at the stars god encourages you and remember the star maker place your belief in him even if you can't see it some of you have doubts today that will lead you astray will cause you to walk away from god it's okay look to the covenant-making God who keeps his promises who died for you whose blood was spilt for you this is what we do as we remember this story today we're remembering the gospel the good news that those who believe and place their faith in God will be counted as righteous and even when we fail and turn our backs on him. Our God is a God who keeps his covenant. Our God is a God who keeps his promises and he spilt his blood for you and me and three days later he rose from the dead assuring that we can have assurance of salvation forever. And so as we come to the table this morning, we are remembering these truths. And so I'm gonna invite the ushers forward. I'm gonna invite the band up. I'm gonna pray. And we're going to respond by a physical act of receiving the gospel this morning. As we take the bread, it represents Jesus' body, which was broken for you. As we drink from this cup, it represents his blood, which was shed for you. And as we walk away, we remember, that as we place our faith in this event in history, that because he lives, we will have Life and life forevermore. Because we believe in Him, we will be counted as rightly related. So you can walk out of this place not with your shoulders down and your head down, feeling ashamed. You can walk out of this place in confidence, knowing the Living God. The Living God, He's with you, He reassures you, He keeps His promises. He died for you. He rose for you. Let's pray together. Let's respond. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. It is probably in all of the Old Testament, one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. That you are a God who keeps your promises. And even when it meant that you would have to go to the cross, Jesus, you said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done, God. And you walked towards that cross and your blood was shed to forgive us of our sins and to give us assurance of salvation. I thank you for that reality this morning. And so I pray today for my friends who are carrying with them doubts this morning, that as they walk to the table, they would lay their doubts before you. And if they walk away, they would walk away with your assurance. Your assurance, God, this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of C.A. Church.